welcome to the Manda Hadley podcast. Today we're talking about pre and post nuptial agreements, which for many are a valuable tool for protecting assets and wealth. And I'm joined today by Sarah Roper, who's a chartered legal executive at Manda Hadley. So welcome, Sarah. Hello. Jo. Just to give a bit of background um, about pre and post nups, um, marriage. Um, of course, should always be a joyous occasion. Um, but with almost half of all British marriages ending in divorce, um, I think there's very genuine fear among some families and individuals that assets or wealth could be lost through the financial settlements that follow on from a divorce. Um, we know that in these cases, it's becoming increasingly common for couples to agree to a prenuptial agreement in which they set out terms for the division of assets in the, in the event of a divorce. Um, often this might include removing them from any claim on inherited wealth or preventing them for making a claim against a business run by their spouse. And similarly, for those already married, um, there are postnuptial agreements that fulfil a similar role. So, Sarah, let's let's start at the beginning, um, covering the basics, really. So what are the key differences between a pre and a postnuptial agreement? So a premarital or prenuptial agreement, which is also known as a prenup, is a formal written agreement between two partners prior to their marriage. So the agreement sets out ownership of all of the belonging, which might be money, assets and property, and it explains how it's going to be divided in the event of the breakdown of the marriage. Now, it may be that you and your proposed spouse simply like to be as organised as possible with your finances. And I should say that entering into a prenuptial agreement does not mean that you are more likely to get divorced. Whereas a postnuptial agreement, also known as a postnup, sets out exactly how assets should be distributed between you and your spouse should your marriage break down. It's a written contract that is signed by a married couple during the marriage and not before, as is the case with a prenuptial agreement. Okay, so assuming you want to, to do this, what's the process for creating that agreement? So once both parties have agreed that they want to create the agreement, the first step really is to take advice from a solicitor who will listen to your requirements, provide you with the advice and draft the agreement. So to comply with UK law, the prenup must be drawn up by a qualified lawyer and includes schedules fully disclosing each party's assets. It has to be signed by both parties and both signatures need to be witnessed by an unrelated party. Both parties also have to have separate solicitors to avoid any claim of conflict of interest. Each solicitor will advise their own clients as to the effect of the prenuptial agreement and how that will affect them in the future in the event of separation or divorce. And the solicitor also has to certify the agreement to confirm that they have provided each party with advice. And for clarity, copies of the document should be held by both parties and it's usual for a copy to be retained by the solicitors in their own file. Okay, so... Going into a bit of detail then, what can be included within these agreements and, and are there any things that, that would be excluded? So I think the first thing I should say is when we're looking at drafting the prenuptial agreement is that it needs to be signed by both parties at least 21 days before the marriage. That makes sure that no party feels under pressure to agree to anything and it prevents any problems of claims of duress or coercion or anything like that in the future. 
So each prenuptial agreement is tailored to each couple's particular circumstances. Um, it can usually contain an inventory of each partner's assets and details of how they are to be dealt with in the event of a marriage breakdown. It might also set out post-divorce financial arrangements for children, particularly in marriages where one or both the partners already have children from previous relationships. What a prenuptial can't do is it cannot provide that a court will not be able to consider financial issues in relation to the marriage, as this is seen to be contrary to public policy. It's also not possible to make an agreement restricting financial provision for children, as a prenuptial agreement cannot prejudice the interests of the children of the family. Okay, so from your experience, Sarah, um, why, why do couples choose to create these agreements? So it's normally beneficial where either of the parties has substantially greater capital or income than the other. One or both of the parties wishes to protect assets that they owned prior to the marriage, which might include inheritances, inheritances I should say, or family trusts. It would be beneficial in the agreement to define what is considered to be matrimonial property or non-matrimonial property. For example, that might be business assets owned by one of you prior to the marriage. If one or both of you have children from a previous marriage or relationship, you might want to protect your assets for the purposes of inheritance planning. And the final thing that is important to look at is whether or not either party has any connection with property in another jurisdiction, which means it's outside England and Wales. In these cases, it's good practice to have a consistent prenuptial agreement drafted by lawyers in the other jurisdiction, which is then translated into English and notarised as required. So the two run along it side by each other. And what's the current legal position on these agreements? Um, I know historically they've been questionable. Are, are they actually legally, legally binding and enforceable? Possibly the easiest way to think about these agreements are that they are highly persuasive but not binding. So there was a precedent which was set out in a famous case of Radmacher versus Grantino, where the UK courts considered prenuptial agreements and they decided that these agreements could be afforded heavy evidential weight in the UK unless they were thought to be unfair. So judges still do have the power to waive any pre or postnuptial agreement, especially in cases where it's deemed to be unfair to any children of the marriage. So it's best to seek a fair balance when drafting the agreement that takes into consideration current as well as future contributions to the marriage or provision for future intended children. And it's possible that a judge could uphold part of the agreement while not upholding a separate part. Just moving on from there then, um, Sarah, what are some of the clauses that a judge would decide are unfair or unfavourable outside of that? So circumstances can change after the agreement's been entered into. And in the event of a dispute, the court will look at your circumstances as they are at the time of the agreement is being considered by the court. 
what might have been fair at the, at the time of you entering into the agreement might not be considered fair now if you or your spouse's circumstances have changed significantly. For example, you have had children or one of you's got reduced earning capacity or one of you has suffered ill health and the agreement hasn't provided for those changes either in its original form or by an amended agreement. For this reason, it's sensible to include provision in the agreement for there to be either regular reviews, say two or three yearly, or reviews in the event of certain events occurring. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Sarah. I think that's been a really good insight into um, the, the value and the benefits and obviously the considerations of a pre and post-up agreement. Um, if anybody listening to the podcast wants a bit more information, um, you can contact Sarah um, through the website. Um, details are with the notes that accompany this podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Joan.